Our text this morning, as we hear from the living God and His Word, is once again Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 to 9. But if you were here last week, you know that the question this morning is, what is faith? Look at verse 9 there in Galatians 3, where we ended. So then, Paul says, therefore, in conclusion, verse 9, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. It is those who are of faith who are blessed. And that includes the Galatians, right? This is Paul's point. That was Paul's point in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 3, that the Galatians had the hearing of faith. Demonstrated by the presence of the Spirit, verse 6 then said, just as Abraham, you're just like Abraham, just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham had faith. That faith, I suggested, was his righteousness. And every person since, including you and I, are blessed along with him. We're part of God's people. We're justified. We're saved by faith. Specifically, the faith of Abraham. So this morning, looking at Abraham, we're asking though I kind of kicked myself this week for doing this, what is faith? This is, this is bedrock stuff, Christian. Or non-Christian. Wherever you're at, do you want to follow Jesus? Jesus says, John 8, remember we ended with this last week, essentially, be like Abraham. Be like Abraham. So, we have a challenge before us. How do you be like Abraham? Well, you have faith, of course, so here's what I want to do. Abraham's life is in Genesis chapters 12 to 22. Now, there's a great deal we won't cover, obviously, But I want to look somewhat closely at three moments in the life of Abraham to show you what faith looks like. Three moments to look at, and they're not randomly uh, selected. I'm going with three moments that the New Testament references as examples of justifying faith in Abraham's life. Did you realize that the New Testament says Abraham was justified by faith at the beginning of his life, in the middle of his life, and at the end of his life. Beginning, middle, and end. Which in itself is a big deal, I think, but we'll come back to that if we have time at the end. Genesis is the first book of the Bible, so... I would love it if you turn there. (laughs) Go to the front of the book. We're going to start three places. We're going to start at the beginning of Abraham's life. This is Genesis 
chapter 12. Does everybody have access to a text, or at least you can look on, or you have a phone or something that will get you there? <laughs> Beginning of Abraham's life, Genesis chapter 12. I was only saying I kicked myself this week because I, 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 I might have tried to bite off more than I can chew in one sermon, but I'm still going to try it. Genesis 12. Here's a question to start. Why Abraham? Why Abraham? I mean, by Genesis 12, you've read Genesis 1 to 11, right? So you know what the problem is. Sin. Sin enters the creation through Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis 3. And God promises in cursing the serpent in Genesis 3 verse 15 that from the woman would come two seeds. Remember this? If you've read this any time recently. Right? A seed of the serpent and a seed of the woman. There'd be two lineages from this point. And the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15 says, would one day crush, destroy the serpent himself, Satan himself. So that right away in Genesis, set up right at the start, in Genesis 3.15, within all the genealogies that you have early in the chapters, we're meant to see that there will be two spiritual lines running through them. There's a genealogy of unbelief on the one hand that begins with Cain and continues on through Ham and Japheth and Joktan and so on. And then there's a genealogy of God's people. There's one of God's people right there. There's a genealogy of God's people on the other, beginning with Abel. And continuing on through Seth and Noah and Shem and Terah and his son, Abram, later called Abraham. And here's the deal. Those two spiritual lines derive from the same parents. Right? Does that make sense? Right from the start. Cain and Abel both come from Adam and Eve. And Shem and Ham and Japheth all have Noah as their father. So that what distinguishes the seed of the woman from the seed of the serpent isn't human anything. Human ability, human attributes, human accomplishments, human lineage, whatever. It's solely God's mercy. It's completely a matter of God's grace. So, we're in Genesis 12, verse 1. And the Lord speaks to Abram. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And the first thing I want you to see here is that that is completely undeserved mercy. Why? Well, for one, because Abram had stopped in Haran. Right? Look back at Genesis 11, verses 31 and 32. It says, Terah took Abram his son 
and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. Now wait, why'd they do that? Why leave Ur of the Chaldeans? Answer? Because God had revealed himself and said, go there. That's why. Sheer grace. Listen to Acts chapter 7, verse 2. Do you remember this? You don't have to flip there. Just listen to Acts chapter 7, verse 2. Just stay in Genesis. It'll be easier. Acts 7, verse 2. This is the beginning of Stephen's speech. Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. That's Canaan. But Genesis chapter 11 verse 31 says, But when they came to Haran, they settled there which isn't what they were supposed to do, right? And Terah dies there. And then Genesis 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, go. That's utter mercy, friends. Stephen says it, Acts 7, verse 4, Stephen says, God removed him. That's Acts 7, verse 4. God removed him from there, meaning Haran. Why this mercy to Abram? Well, all we could say is that there's no indication of any reason whatsoever in Abraham's own life for why God chose him. All we learn about Abraham in the Bible while he, uh, about him while he was still in Mesopotamia is found in Joshua chapter 24, verse 2. And there it simply says that Abram, like Terah his father, was a pagan who worshipped other gods. And that's when the God of glory, Acts 7, showed up in his life. Yes, God wasn't responding to some special qualities in Abraham. Abraham didn't have faith on his own. God thrust Abraham out of Mesopotamia by invading his life and then appearing to him again in Genesis 12, verse 1, to keep him going. So here's my first point about faith. Ready? Faith is a response to God's provision. Faith is a response to God's provision. This is Genesis, right? The God who revealed himself in creating the world is the God who creates faith in our lives by revealing himself to us. I don't want you to leave here thinking Abraham some kind of great religious hero. That Abraham somehow impressed God enough that God showed up to him and 
gave him all these promises. God invaded his life while well, he's a pagan idol worshiper. And Abraham responds. And then God has to do it again in Genesis 12, verse 1. And Abraham responds. And that becomes a pattern all through these chapters. Genesis 12, verse 1 is a command, right? So what does Abraham have to do? Well, he has to obey it. <laughs> of course. But why does he obey it? That's the key. And the answer is because God showed up in his life. God revealed himself. God revealed his presence. God was with him. Or as I said last week, I think Abraham had the spirit. So Abram obeys God. Hebrews 11 says, Abram obeys God. And Acts 7 verse 4 says of the same event, God removed him. Abram obeyed God. God removed him. It's the same reality. And Hebrews 11 looks at all of this and says it's by faith. Listen to Hebrews 11 verse 8. By faith, this is Hebrews 11 verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. So when did Abraham have the obedience of faith? To use Paul's phrase from Romans. When was Abraham righteous? When was he justified by faith? Because that's the whole point that Hebrews 11 is making, right? The end of Hebrews 10 is quoting Habakkuk 2. It says, my righteous one shall live by faith. And that leads into all the examples of Hebrews 11. That's the point. What does that look like? When was Abram righteous? Right at the beginning. Abram obeyed. His faith went public. And Genesis 12, verse 2, then states the promises that will be repeated then throughout his life, right? Which Paul then quotes in Galatians 3. Listen to them one time here in verse 2 of Genesis 12. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Faith is a response to God's provision. Secondly then, We consider the middle of Abraham's life. That was the start of his, li his life of faith. I don't mean the day he was born. I mean his life of faith. We consider here the middle of Abraham's life. This is now Genesis chapters 15 and 17. Now, we were just in Genesis 12. You can flip over to Genesis 15. But as you flip, glance at it. Because a lot happens between Genesis 12 and 15. And if you know it, you know, Abraham wasn't so stellar at times, right? Watch this. He gets to the promised land. 
chapter 12. Starts off well, builds an altar to the Lord. Then the second half of chapter 12, there's a famine. So what does he do? Does he stay in the land to which the Lord sent him? No. He goes to Egypt. <laughs> and what happens there? He lies about his wife being his sister. Right? Which he thinks he has to do to provide for himself because there's food in Egypt. So whatever it takes, got to eat. Don't know what the Lord's doing, putting me in this place where there's no food. I've got to take care of it myself. So I'll lie about my sister. This is not good. It's the very opposite of faith. So what happens? Well, what's this? What happens is the same thing that happened in Haran. The Lord intervenes. The Lord removes Abram from Egypt. You can read about it later. The point I want you to see is, after Abram's righteous, living by faith, according to Hebrews 11, did he fail? Oh, yes. What is it that keeps him going? It's only the Lord. Please see that. Abram has started his life of faith, right? He started his life of faith. But here's part of the message this morning I want you to walk away with. Faith doesn't just happen. Abraham has to learn to have faith. To trust God more and more. In more and more difficult circumstances. I mean, to even get to Genesis 15, the Lord has to intervene. God has mercy on him and rescues him from his un. Belief. Oh, there's a massive pastoral insight there. Brothers and sisters, be patient with one another. And even with yourselves. Because God will even use your failures to teach you that he can be trusted. But I'm getting ahead of myself. There's more we could say about these chapters. Abraham shows, Abraham will show he does again trust the Lord by how he treats Lot in Genesis 13, right? Let's Lot choose the land. He wasn't supposed to do that. Melchizedek comes in here. All that's for another time. We need, <laughs> we need to keep in mind now in getting, to, in getting to Genesis 15 that Abraham's getting older. And although he has this great promise and the Lord brought him back from Egypt, he has this promise of people from whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He doesn't have a single plot of land. He doesn't have any descendants. And the promised land is still inhabited by the Canaanites. Right? So in other words, what's the deal? There's still lots of circumstances that seem to call the promises that God made him into question. Can you relate to that? Circumstances in your life make you question God's promises. So God has to be at work. So Genesis 15 verse 1. What happens? After these things, the word of the Lord came. 
to Abraham, or Abram still, in a vision. Fear not, Abram, Genesis 15. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. There's God's provision again. He's saying he'll protect and provide for Abram no matter what. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram's questioning the content of God's promises, how they'll come about. Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to Abram, So shall your offspring be. And then here's verse 6, famous verse 6. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. Now look there at verse 6. What exactly did Abram believe or trust or have faith in? Answer, that God's promises would come to pass. Right? And they're huge promises. He would never see the fulfillment of these promises. Not just that he would have a son, but that his offspring, the seed of the woman from Genesis 3.15, that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars of heaven. You're one of those stars, Christian. You realize that, right? That's you and me. In the year 2017, Abraham's looking up at in the sky. And Abraham trusts that. So let me add a couple things here to our definition. We've said faith is a response to God's provisions. How about this now? Faith is trusting God's promises for the future in response to God's provisions. And I could add, in the past, to the end of that. And here we are. Faith is trusting God's promises for the future in response to God's provision in the past. This is going to be my working definition of faith. Look again here at Genesis 15. Just go to verse 7. Look at what the Lord says. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Why say that? Simple. To remind Abram of what he's already done for him. Right? The Lord had invaded his life. He had revealed himself. And what's more, he'd proven himself faithful time and again ever since. I mean, he went to Egypt and got Abram out of there. He is Abram's shield. So fear not, Abram. That's the command here, isn't it? Fear not. Don't fear the circumstances around you that seem to call into question my promises. Trust me. You see that? And Abraham does. And it honors God as the faithful God. 
And all of that's there in Genesis 15, and all of it's there again in Genesis 17 too. We're still here in the middle of Abraham's life. And it's the same stuff. We get this amazing ceremony. Watch this. We get this amazing ceremony in Genesis 15, right? You know, he, he cuts the animals in half and the cauldron moves between and it's amazing. I could preach on that. But as time then goes on, it's this amazing moment. But time goes on and there's no fulfillment. So Genesis 16, verse 1 says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. So what happens? Well, Sarai says to Abram, to go into Hagar, her Egyptian servant. Just like Abraham had gone to Egypt during the famine, right? For, she says, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And then watch verse 2 of Genesis 16. It says, just a bit ominously, I think, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And Ishmael's born. And it's not what the Lord had promised. Right? It's not. Abraham's not supposed to have a son by an Egyptian servant. So here we are again. And this is after Genesis 15, verse 6, right? He believed and God counted it to him as righteousness. But God never gives up. God never gives up on his people. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God does not give up on his people. So, we're in Genesis 17 now. And the Lord once again shows up. Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old. Now, he was 86 when Ishmael was born, so this is a while later. Genesis 17, the Lord again appeared. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Now, can you see once again, dear friends, that this is just pure Mercy. Like stopping in Haran, like going to Egypt, like choosing to try and figure out how to have a son by another Egyptian slave woman. What does the Lord do? The Lord restores him. He reveals his presence. And Abraham is brought back to trusting the Lord, right? I mean, can you relate to this? You and I have to learn how to stop depending on ourselves and to depend on God. It doesn't just happen. We have to learn this. This is how the life of faith works. It says then in verse 3, watch the response, Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, listen to this, Behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. My covenant is with you. It's incredible. God's fully committed to this happening. Let's go to verse 6. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Remember that? 
Be fruitful and multiply. I mean, this is the kingdom of God extending through Abraham now from the beginning of Genesis. And I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you, including you, Christian. Including you, the offspring of Abraham. Okay, so the covenant's there. And now comes the sign, which, of course, is circumcision. Note verse 11, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And watch this, it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Did you note that? What's the role of circumcision here? It's a sign of the covenant. Because the covenant's already there. Oh, don't, don't, miss, don't miss that one. The covenant's already there. Why? Because God initiated it. Because God started it in Ur of the Chaldeans when he showed up in Abraham's life. You believe that? It's what we already read. I am God Almighty. Walk before me. Be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Circumcision was the sign that was to point to the reality of what I just read there. And what comes then in verses 16 and following here in Genesis 17? It's the explicit promise of Isaac. Sarah is to have the son. Verse 19, God said, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Faith, brothers and sisters, is trusting God's promises for the future in response to God's provisions in the past. Listen to how Paul says it in Romans chapter 4. Here's Paul in Romans 4 verse 18 describing Abraham in Genesis 17. Right? Last time we looked at Hebrews 11. Now here's Romans 4. In hope, Paul says, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Now listen here. Here's Paul, Romans 4. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Because it honors God. Trust in his promise. Recognizing all that the Lord's done. I am God Almighty. <laughs> Delivered you how many times already? When did Abraham have faith? He had it at the beginning. He had it in the middle. He's still waiting for the promised son. And then finally, thirdly, 
and I know time's going, but we consider the end of Abraham's life. Now the end, as Genesis records it, will be in Genesis chapter 22. But you know it's coming. Lest you think it's all just smooth sailing from Genesis 17 on. I mean, that sounds pretty good, right? Way up here, right? Trusting God. His faith doesn't waver. He's trusting the promises. Must be smooth sailing from there on out, the life of faith. Well, <laughs> no. By the time we're in Genesis 20, there's a lot that happens here. It's Sodom and Gomorrah, lots of things going on. But you can flip over to Genesis 20. By the time we're in Genesis 20, what do we find? Verse 2 of Genesis 20. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she's my sister. I mean, come on, man. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. I mean, can you believe it? Folks, this is the man of faith. The man of faith. Faith is not a linear progression. It's a roller coaster. Okay? It's a roller coaster. And what does it prove? It proves that God will rescue Abraham yet again. God has to rescue Abraham yet again. Christian, do you think he'll rescue you? Do you think he'll rescue you when you fail to trust him in your life? Do you really do you really do you really think he will do that? Do you Trust that for others who fail? He will. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, Genesis 20, there's Abraham again, bottom of the roller coaster. So, finally, Genesis 21, verse 1. What does the Lord do? It's all the Lord. The Lord visited Sarah. As he'd said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And finally, the promised child is born. And then, then comes the unspeakable. Genesis 22, verse 2. God said to Abraham, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, up till now, friends, it had always been the circumstances surrounding Abraham that called God's promises into question, right? Famine. He goes to Egypt. 
not having a son, not having a son, not having a son, again and again, coming up with some way to achieve the blessings of God on his own. Not how it's supposed to happen. It's always circumstances that drive Abraham to this lack of faith. But now the test comes where? God himself. Why would God do that? You know the story. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing you've not withheld your son your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place. The Lord will provide. Think about that. The Lord will provide. It's what all of God's people come to know is true. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. What's the point? The point is this. That through the roller coaster of his life, Abraham had come to trust God no matter what. Faith isn't believing the unbelievable. It's trusting in God's word because of what you've come to know about God. Can I say that again? Faith isn't about believing the unbelievable. It's trusting in God's word because of what you've come to know about God. Or it's trusting God's promises for the future in response to God's provisions in the past. Here's why Abraham's faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. It's because the act of faith, the obedience of faith, honors God as trustworthy, you see? It takes God at his word, depends on God's ability to bring about 
all that He's promised, even if God Himself calls those promises into question. It treats God as God. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and here it is, faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled, and you know what it is, it's Genesis 15 verse 6. The scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Oh, brothers and sisters, Abraham is justified by faith. When he first believed God in Ur, obeying God's command to go to Canaan. Abraham's justified by faith in the middle of his life when he believed God's incredible promises and carried out the sign of God's covenant. And Abraham is justified by faith at the end of his life, going off with wood and knife in his hand. By faith, Hebrews 11 verse 17 says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Brothers and sisters, this is the man of faith. It is a life of faith. It is not a linear progression. It is God over and over again restoring, redeeming, showing mercy, causing Abraham to learn over and over again that God alone can be trusted. Until the time comes when God knows that Abram's ready. It's a life of faith. It's of one piece with his overall life. Far from perfection, to be sure. Far from perfection. But it's a life born of a faith that began in Mesopotamia and climaxed with offering Isaac on the mountain. From the very beginning, Abraham's faith, his growing confidence in God's promises for the future because of what he knows God has done for him in the past, is what justifies him. It makes him one of God's own. Why? Because it brings glory to the God who brought his very faith to life. 
brings glory to the God who brought his very faith to life. So that, end of sermon here, when the covenant promises are passed on to Isaac in Genesis 26, listen to what's said. Genesis 26, verses 4 and 5. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and will give to your descendants all these lands and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall bless themselves. Why? Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. Or, as Paul would say, I think, Abraham had the hearing of faith. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.